As they make their way out, uh, I'm going to invite the rest of you to take your Bibles and let's turn to the Gospel of Luke. We'll be in chapter 19 this morning. We could have got the kids on their way out. Thank you for standing as we open God's Word together. We could have we could have asked the kids on their way out to sing a song that uh, they're probably familiar with, right? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, right? That's right. We'll get, we'll get Jeremy to uh, lead us in this. No, you know the song, and so you know the story. It's one of the most popular stories in the Bible. And uh, it, the thing about it is, it's, this is not a parable. This uh, Jesus wasn't just trying to illustrate a point. He was modeling it for us right here. He was telling us this, uh, Luke was telling us this true story of how Jesus is a God who is reaching out. Last week we saw that he was reaching down. This week reaching out. Next week we're going to talk about how he reaches in. And all of these obviously overlap in every story. And then Easter, how he reached up in the resurrection, taking hold of us, taking hold of God and bringing us together. God's all-encompassing reach. So you found your place there, Luke chapter 19. Let's begin with verse 1. He entered Jericho and was passing through. It's no small statement, and you'll see that in just a moment. There was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but he was not able because of the crowd, since he was a short man. So running ahead, he climbed up a sycamore tree to see Jesus, since he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, because today I must stay or spend some time dwell at your house. So he quickly came down and he welcomed him joyfully. That is, Zacchaeus welcomed Jesus joyfully. All who saw it began to complain, he's gone to lodge with a sinful man. But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, look, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor, Lord, and if I have extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times as much. Today, Jesus said this, salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham, for the son of man has come to seek and to save the lost. Father, if that's what you came into this world for, certainly that's why you have left us here after our salvation, to be about your business and your work. Forgive us when we get so distracted by the things of this world that we forget why we're here. Lord, as we approach the uh, Easter week coming up, Help us to take full advantage of every opportunity to first be reminded ourselves what you're about and then to join you in your work. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Again, I want to welcome uh, the guests as Pastor Ben did earlier. And uh, if you're a guest, be sure to hand me that welcome card on your way out and introduce yourself. And I'm going to make sure you leave with a, a gift this morning in exchange for that welcome card. So thank you for choosing to worship with us here at Trinity. Glad you're here. Um, some of you are still recovering from spring break, right? And uh, some were able to get a little vacation time in, which means you've got to get back to work and rest this week. So if you see somebody uh, kind of nodding off this morning, just elbow them, right? Wake them up. 
Because I believe God has something to say to us through this word that's very important. And what we have to say, the message we have to proclaim is very important. You know, after World War I, uh, King George V was going to speak at, at, at this uh, rally for peace and, and uh, hopefully some kind of move toward disarmament and that sort of thing. And, and um, as, as this was in the early days of radio, it was going to be broadcast uh, through radio stations here in the United States. And there was a problem in, in New York. There was a, a major cable that had broken that was going to be transmitting this radio broadcast. And a fellow by the name of Harold Vivian, who was considered a junior mechanic, at the last minute and just in time to keep this as a live broadcast, he grabbed hold of each part of the cable when they couldn't pull it together and splice it at this point. He grabbed hold of each part of the cable and let 250 volts pass through his body so that this radio broadcast could take place live here in the United States. And and when I heard that story, I thought about how we are like this mechanic. We become conductors through which the most important message in the universe passes through. And in the same way that God reached out to us, we're to reach out to our world with this message. Now, we make some basic assumptions when we read the Gospels. That is that Christ's message becomes our mission. Whatever it was that Jesus was proclaiming is what we must be about if we're on mission for Christ. His message is our mission. And not only that, his model becomes our method. He didn't just tell us that we're to go and make disciples of all nations. He modeled how we are to reach out. And so as Jesus reached out to us, and now as we saw last week, his spirit came down to fill and empower us, we're to be reaching out as the hands and feet of Jesus. Jesus, in essence, is reaching out now through us. And so Luke, in his gospel, the lone Gentile writer in the New Testament, he was pretty fired up that Jesus reached out and beyond where the religious crowd of that day was reaching out because he would be one who was impacted by that outreach through the apostles. Luke reveals a God who is always reaching out. It would be Luke in Acts who would record that Peter had to get beyond his own prejudices and and his own pride and reach out beyond his comfort zone to a man named Cornelius, a Gentile. Luke would reveal that Paul, as an apostle, a Roman citizen, but also Jewish, would reach out and plant churches among the Gentiles. Luke would give us that account. But in the gospel of Luke, he would draw attention to this story, which is exclusive to Luke, but also to the story of the lepers that many would have considered unclean and not been willing to reach out and touch. And sometimes we're guilty of having people that we think are untouchable, that that we can't go and minister to. He would heal the blind, the, the blind who many of that day thought were cursed. Jesus would be the one who would reach out to the outcasts, and Luke would record that for us. And 
Certainly Zacchaeus, as a tax collector, would have been considered an outcast, even among his own people that thought he was betraying them. Luke 19 and verse 10 would be not only the key to this story, but Luke 19.10 would be the theme of all of the Gospel of Luke. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. That's what Jesus was all about. He was about outreach. And so outreach shouldn't just be a, a part of the ministry of the church. Outreach should be everything that the church is all about. Everything we do as a church should be with the passion to reach out with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I know we do other things like worship and discipleship, and, and we were talking about heaven in our life group this morning, and I look forward to heaven, and, and we're going to worship like never before, and heaven is going to be incredible. And people who were not passionate worshipers on earth, they're going to get ready to really worship in heaven, and we're going to say, no, 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 you might offend somebody. Don't get too excited up here, right? We're going to worship like never before. We're going to know him like never before in heaven because we're not going to see through a glass dimly. So discipleship and, and, and understanding and growth is going to be incredible. Fellowship is going to be sweeter than ever. All of those things that we enjoy here, we will enjoy to a, a degree that our mind can't comprehend in heaven. But we will not get to do outreach to the lost in heaven because they will not be there. It will be eternally too late. And so why... Didn't God just rapture us out of here when he saved us? It's because he wanted us to be about his mission, following his model as Luke presents it here. And so there's kind of a twofold message as there was last week and there will be throughout this series. First of all, I pray that we'll all leave here grateful that Jesus reached out to us and that he may have used in your life a certain individual. It could have been your own family members, but somebody reached out to you and showed you the love of Christ in this life. And, and so we want to stand in awe of that. And then in addition to that, we want to be motivated to reach out to others. And so this morning, what do we learn from this story that you remember from your childhood? Zacchaeus, the wee little man, right? We're told he was short. We don't know exactly how small. First of all, here's what I want you to see in the text this morning, and we learned this from our Lord's model, and that is you are never just passing through. You, you are never just passing through. Was he passing through? Yes, but he was not just passing through. He was passing through on mission. Verse 1, Jesus was passing through as he entered Jericho, which was a town that many people had to pass through. It was a gateway city for Israel, and especially a route to Jerusalem. Jesus was always alert. He was always sensitive to what was going on around him, and he was, get this, always willing to minister on his way to minister. He was always willing to touch a life on his way to touch lives. We live in one of the busiest times that the world has ever known because we have created all kinds of ways to keep ourselves busy. And if we don't learn to minister on our way to minister, if we don't learn to minister along life's pathways, and we always wait till we get to a designated time, an intentional moment for ministry, we will never touch the people around us. Remember in Luke chapter 8, there was an urgent need 
A man named Jairus had come to Jesus and his daughter had died and he wanted Jesus to come. Or at least she had been sick at this point, but she would die by the time Jesus reached there. So I would say the situation was very urgent that Jesus go and minister to this little girl. But on the way, in the midst of a crowd, it says that a woman with a, uh, that had a, an issue of hemorrhaging had reached out and touched the hem of his garment, and he stopped his journey to turn and have a conversation and minister to this woman who experienced healing and the touch of Jesus. He stopped on his way to urgent ministry to minister to someone and to minister to the crowd that he was among in the process. Are we too busy, or do we find ourselves like the priest and the rabbi? Remember, also, John tells us the story of a priest and a Levite who would not stop for a man who on the road to Jericho was beaten and robbed and left for dead. The priest and the Levite didn't stop and minister because they were probably on their way to important ministry or considered this man just a little bit too dirty to deal with. And so I I want to encourage you this morning, church, you're probably in the midst of, of the greatest opportunity of ministry in your life and you're not aware of it if you're not paying close attention. You're not ministering on your way to minister. In Matthew 28, 19, where the Great Commission is given, it says, go therefore and make disciples. Some have rightly suggested that what Jesus meant is, as you are going, make disciples of all nations. As you're journeying along, as you're passing through, and by the way, if you wait till a point in time where you're not passing through and you get to where you're going, that's probably never going to happen because all of this life for the Christian is just passing through. And so as you are going, we're to be sharing the gospel, making disciples of all nations. As you are going, going back to Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 and 16, you are to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And so you're to pass through wherever you're passing through with great sensitivity to what God may be doing around you. I remember uh, spring break of my last year of seminary. Uh, when I was in, in North Carolina working on my master's. And last week of seminary, our last semester of seminary, I go on a mission trip to Mexico during spring break, and we were headed to the town of Muskies. And in that town, we were going to help with a church plant. We were going to disciple some leaders. We were going to help them do some evangelistic outreach, invite people in that community who had uh, uh, never had an evangelical church of this type in their community that was started. And, and so we're gonna, we were going to help this process along, right? So when we got to the church and we got to the town, we had so many plans. And, and we had also had someone make these tracks for us that shared our personal testimony in the gospel in Spanish on one side and in English on the other so that we could know what we were saying in Spanish. <laughs> and so... And it had certain diagnostic questions like, do you believe in God? Do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? And it shared the gospel. And so we were going to use those when we got to Muskies, Mexico. And I'll never forget getting on a bus in Nueva Rosita and riding to Muskies on this long bus ride, long, dusty bus ride. 
And most of our team was able to find seats together toward the back, and I realized we were going to be uh, kind of out of seats back there. And I sat down beside an older gentleman who's, uh, you could just tell that he had worked hard in the sun. His eyes uh, reflected somebody who was tired and, and weary from hard work in the sun most of his life and dusty and dirty, and he just kind of stared out the window. And I don't speak a lot of Spanish, and then I really spoke very little but, but it was almost like he was afraid to even look in my direction or have a conversation. He might have, he might have been saying, you know, what does this young white boy know about anything? I don't know what he was thinking. But I began to pull out that track and read over it. It was a long bus ride, so didn't have anything better. I wanted to familiarize myself. And so when he finally looked my way and noticed I was reading something, I could tell he could read the Spanish side. And so the best way I knew how, I asked permission to practice with him. I said, can I just kind of rehearse this, you know? And uh, he, he spoke very little English. I spoke very little Spanish. Our Spanglish wasn't getting us much. But, but as I began to read in Spanish and ask him if he understood and believed, do you understand, do you believe this? And, and I got to the place and I said, have you ever trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? And his answer was No. And I said, you know, you, it's a free gift, because he would ask the question, how much does this cost? I said, no, 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 does it cost? It is a free gift. Do you understand this gospel that you've just read? Yes. Do you want to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior right now? And he said, yes. And with tears in his eyes, this older man right there on that bus ride prayed to receive Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And I was overwhelmed by that because I thought, man, it's going to be tough to minister when we get into this town, right? We're going to be different. We're going to have to overcome some obstacles. But God had different plans. He had plans that on the journey there that an older man would give his heart and his life to Jesus Christ. I didn't know his name, but I could see the sincerity in his eyes. Minister on your way to do ministry. You're never just passing through. You'll grasp the concept, church. You'll grasp the concept, friends, of reaching out when you quit compartmentalizing your life with spiritual on one side and the secular over here. This is my church life. This is my missional life. But over here, this is this is where I go to school. This is where I go to work. And, and so this is my spiritual life, and this is my secular life. Listen, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you can't compartmentalize your life. You are always on mission for Christ. You are never just passing through. You'll learn to live with sensitivity to all of those who are around you. Your entire life, again, will not just be passing through, but will be on mission in your school, in your workplace, on that team that you're a part of or that team parents that you're coaching or serving as a team parent or team mom, you will always be on mission. You will see them as people who need to know Jesus. You'll see yourself in your neighborhood on mission. You'll see yourself, listen, this is a cool thing to say right after spring break, You'll see yourself on your vacation spot 
as being their own mission for the Lord Jesus Christ. Never just passing through because everywhere that your feet touch will be your mission field. And all of the people that God brings into your life that cross your path with whom you can have contact and build a relationship with. You'll start thinking about those words that God said to Ezekiel. Listen, if they don't repent, if they don't believe, yes, it's going to be catastrophic, but I will require their blood at your hands if you do not warn them. If you do not share with them the message that I've given you. Secondly, this morning, I want you to see that the seeker in every person is real but limited. Real but limited. I love to hear scholars debate this one. While we're not seekers, he is the seeker. You know, on the one hand, you have what are called seeker-friendly churches that try to make it easy for people to come seeking God. And others will point out the uh, theological flaws and all that because we don't seek God. He came seeking us. And, And so I appreciate The many scholars who rightfully point out that Luke 19.10 says that Jesus came to us to seek and to save the lost. And we'll come back to that in just a moment because that's vitally important. But in this context, Zacchaeus reveals something to us. He reveals something about a fallen and depraved humanity that still, because we're creating the image of God, that that imago Dei hungers after something more than this world has to offer. And so many are seeking something, and they don't even know what they're seeking, but they're hungry for God to come and fill that void in their life. We are infinitely limited in our seeking, and yet we're seekers like Zacchaeus nonetheless. There were some Obstacles that limited that seeking process. We see that his social status. He was, verse 2, a tax collector. And so he was despised because he worked with the IRS of that day. But not only that, he was at a gateway city. People who were bringing goods into, and, and many times on their way to Jerusalem, they had to get by Zacchaeus. And it was very common for those tax collectors, as they would set their own rates to charge extravagant rates, to say, if you want to get by me, you're going to really have to pay. And so it says he had become very rich in this process. And for some people, that could have been an obstacle because Jesus had said, when the rich young ruler went away sad, he says, listen, it's harder for a camel to get through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into heaven. And he was saying, it's so easy for us to become distracted by the riches of this world that we don't feel like we need God. The disciple says, well, then who can be saved? And we're all in this kind of same boat, right? And Jesus says, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And so here's Zacchaeus, not really liked by anyone. He had certain privilege, but he had abused that privilege. And so his social status had limited him. His stature had even limited him. The, the Bible pointed out that he was trying to see Jesus in verse 3, but he wasn't able because of the crowd. He was a short man. Here he is caught up in this crowd. He couldn't see over the crowd. And so he was frustrated. Any any short people here ever been frustrated, lost in a crowd? You know what I'm talking about? Some of you are like, I don't want to admit it. You get caught up in a crowd and can't see what's going on. So... He wasn't getting much attention. And the crowd, listen, 
the very crowd that was pursuing Jesus became an obstacle for him. Church, we've got to be very careful sometimes that that those of us who know and love and want to draw closer to Jesus don't become the very obstacle that keep other people from coming to Christ. By the way that we act or by our lack of attention to those who need him the most. And so his social status, his stature, and then his sinful condition. Remember, verse 7 said, all who saw it began to complain. He's going to lodge with a sinful man. They had overlooked the fact that we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God, that that all of us are in need of the grace of God and salvation. No no one is righteous, not even one. And so the self-righteous crowd of that day were the ones who were saying, oh, he's a sinner, when they were all sinners in need of a Savior. But Zacchaeus' determination was not limited. So running ahead, verse 4, he climbed up in this sycamore tree to see Jesus. He was determined to see Jesus. He was a limited seeker, but a seeker nonetheless. And he knew that Jesus was about to pass by. So he gets him a, a spot. He's perched there in a tree. Listen, we're, we're seekers, and, and we have a, a destination that we're seeking, but we can never get there on our own. God has to come to where we are. And no matter how special we think we are, no matter how smart we think we are, no matter how talented we think we are, no matter how athletic we think we are, we cannot accomplish the end results of our salvation. I remember hearing about world champion boxer Muhammad Ali being on an airplane, flying first class, when the stewardess had said, the fasten your seatbelt lights are on. Everybody needs to fasten their seatbelts. And, and Muhammad Ali looked up at her and said, Superman don't need a seatbelt. And she cleverly looked back at the champ and said, Superman don't need an airplane. Listen, we all have to admit, no matter how special we think we are, no matter how great our mom or our grandmother told us we are, we all need the grace of God to get us to where we're going. As we seek him, our seeking is limited. And we need to understand about those that we're reaching out to. That, that the best they can do is kind of like, like Peter when he had been walking on the water, but he had lost faith and And he begins to sink, and he reaches up, and all he could do in and of himself was say, Lord, save me. And the rest was up to Jesus who lifted him up. I remember the old hymn, Love Lifted Me. I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, right? We were all sinking deep in sin. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry. From the waters lifted me, now safe am I. Love, I loved it when we would change the words there, Christ lifted me when nothing else could help. And by the way, when I couldn't help myself, Jesus lifted me. And if he did that for us, then 1 Corinthians 9, 22, we need to become all things for all people that by all possible means, some will come to a knowledge of Christ. Some will be saved. And finally, this morning, I want you to see that a genuine encounter with the divine seeker is life-changing. A genuine encounter with a divine seeker is life-changing. I am all for taking a stand for righteousness. And sometimes that stand means we have to 
step out and take a stand on political issues. Listen, politics is not what's going to change people's hearts. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can have all uh, the, the morality in the world legislated and they would be powerless to live it apart from the life-saving power of Jesus Christ. And so while we've got to take a stand for righteousness, we've got to have greater urgency to share the love of Jesus Christ to men, women, boys, and girls who don't know him. That genuine encounter is what was life-changing for Zacchaeus. Look at verses 5 and 6. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, he knew he was. He called him by name. Jesus knows who we are. He calls us by name. He meets us where we are. He knows. He initiates this conversation. And he says, hurry, make haste, right? Come down because we've got to spend some time together, Zacchaeus. You're seeking me, but I have come seeking you, and we have got to spend some time together. This is going to be life-changing for you, Zacchaeus. So he quickly came down, and he welcomed him joyfully or enthusiastically said, Yes, Lord, let's, let's hang out. Let's spend some time together here. Our pursuit of God always comes up short, but God never comes up short in reaching out to us. I pray, church, Trinity family, listen to me. I pray that we'll be people who will go where they are that will be people who will say, I've got to go to your house. I've got to spend some time with you. Yes, I've got to have accountability in my life to do this, but there's also a vulnerability that says I've got to engage people. Verses 8 and 9, we see this eagerness to pursue righteousness by Zacchaeus. It says, he stood there and said to the Lord, look, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times. He he wasn't saying this to earn his salvation. The verbs in this passage are are what we call a futuristic present. What what does that mean? It means rightly interpreted, this passage will say, because of what you've just done uh, in my life. In other words, he had appropriated faith and trusted in Jesus Christ, and he was saying, because of what you've done in my life, things are going to be different from now on. There's going to be life change. If there's no change, there's no Jesus. If there's no Jesus, there's no change. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. All things pass away. All things become new. So Zacchaeus says, my life's going to be different because of my encounter with you. It was absolutely life-changing. And listen, if your life was not changed when you supposedly came to Christ, I doubt the authenticity of that coming to Christ. Because there will be genuine life change when Jesus gets hold of our lives. We are living with a new power, living with a new motivation, living with a new eagerness. He was eager to pursue righteousness. He He was not reluctant. He wasn't saying, do I have to do this? That's what happens to a Christian. They don't have to say, do I have to live right? Do I have to make the right decisions? Do I have to go to church? Do I have to hang out with God? Do I have to do this? Do I have to do that? Do I have to share my faith? No. As a Christian who's been born again with the Spirit of Christ living inside of us, we say, I get to do that. I get to share my faith. I get to make righteous decisions. I get to go to church. I can't wait. And if there's not a hunger and a life change to do that, then it puts a big question mark on the authenticity of that crisis of faith. There was a track 
a gospel track that was going around, really going back to a, a hundred years ago. The track was simply entitled John Harper's Last Convert. <laughs> and it was a man who was a survivor of the Titanic. And he told the story in that track. And, and his track led a lot of people to the Lord, but he was amazed at how he had come to faith. See, John Harper was one that the captain of the Titanic had told, listen, the ship is going to sink. And when it sinks, a, a lot of lives are going to be lost. We need to get as many as we possibly can into the lifeboats. But we can't do this with a lot of chaos. John Harper, being a man of God, he said, we, we want you to bring stability. Stay on the deck with all the people Bring a certain calm, assurance. Bring a stability. But John Harper couldn't help but also share the gospel. And so he's helping people in the lifeboats. He's seeing his own wife and his child off to safety. And he's telling everybody he can, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Repent and believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. He's telling everyone because they knew the numbers many were going to lose their lives. As lifeboats were leaving the scene, as the Titanic went down, as they could hear the horror of people splashing in the water, this man who was also sinking, freezing, said he heard that shout one more time, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. He said, Lord, I believe. I believe and you saved me. And somehow, one of the lifeboats had come back and rescued this man from the waters. And he made it to the Carpathia, he made it to the United States, and he would tell this story again and again. And he would say, I believe that John Harper went under and drowned right after I heard his last shout. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. He said, I believe I was his last convert. Designed a track that would be passed along for generations. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. I want to be shouting that message to my last dying breath. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Why? Because it's true. Why? Because there's no other name given among men by which we can be saved other than the name of Jesus Christ. Folks, Muhammad is dead and in the grave. Buddha is dead. The 35 million gods of Hinduism are dead. Jesus Christ rose again and is alive and well, and he's the only one who can save us today. He's the only one that takes hold of the Father and takes hold of mankind and pulls us together. Would you bow your heads with me, every head bowed, every eye closed?